This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Let's start Parshas Shlach 5782. So here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about something in the beginning of the Parsha where the Maraglim all went to an area called Nachal Ashkel. So look at the Pasuk. It says, Parki Gimel Pasuk Chav Gimel. It says, Vayavoa Nachal Ashkel. They came to Nachal Ashkel. Vayichrusu Misham Zemora Vayashkel Anavim Echod. So they cut off from there a branch together with a cluster of grapes. Vayisu Bamot Bishnayim. They carried it with a pole with two people. Mina Rimonim Uminitainim. From the pomegranates and from the figs as well. They took some of the pomegranates and took some of the figs. Amakom Ahu Kara Nachal Ashkel. That area they called Nachal Ashkel. Al Odos HaEshkel Asher Kosim Misham Bnei because of the dealings that they had with the cluster of grapes that they cut from their Bnei Yisrael. So they called it. So it's funny, right? Because it starts off and they said they came to Nachal Eshkol. And they called it Nachal Eshkol because of what happened with the cluster of grapes. So obviously this is a strange passing in and of itself. So let's do a little background over here. Oznayim Torah says that Hebron was a very dangerous place to go and the Meraglim knew it. There were huge giants that lived there. Sheshai, Achimon, Talmai, maybe Arba, the Anak the giant that lived there beforehand, their father. The Moragam were definitely afraid of them. So only Kalev was willing to go to Hebron. He was the only person who was willing to go to Davin by the Kibriavos, by Maris Machpela. When he returned, they all went down to the orchards nearby, which were known as Nachal Eshkel. And we'll talk about that as that name as we go on. They saw the giants from afar, and it made sense that they embellished some of the stories of these giants. Oh, they were so huge. Oh, we looked like ants. Because they were farther away from the giants when they saw them. They weren't right up close to them, right next to them themselves. They would also, they took fruits from the area. It was the orchard of the giants. That was the area that they would take their fruit, and that would corroborate their story about these giants as well, because these fruits were absolutely huge. Now, the Malbum says that until this point, the Meraglam didn't even have a chance to talk to each other about what they were going to do and what their plan was. Each one of them, aside from Yoshua and Kalev, the ten others, had a plan in their head of what they were going to do when they got back. We want to stay in the Midbar. We want to stay in the Ananiah covered with the Mon and the Be'er Shomirim. They may have had noble intentions with Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron and Miriam, and maybe that was the best of intentions that they had. But they hadn't come out with a concrete plan of what they were going to do. Here in Nachaleshkol, they were finally able to come together, all 12 of them, or I should say all 10 of them that were planning and plotting this whole idea, and those 10 finally said to each other, ah, now we got something over here. So that explains why it says, Vayalu ad Nachaleshkol, they came up to Nachaleshkol, Vayiruus Arts, and they saw the land, right? That's the point where everything, all of a sudden they saw the land, they were afraid of the land, they realized what this land meant to them, and that's why it was horrible for them. Everything they did, that's the idea behind it. Okay. So now let's go into what exactly happened in Akhalashkal. Rashi says that they cut not just the cluster of grapes, but they cut the branch that was holding the cluster of the grapes themselves. The word echod only appears at the end of them. So it says, Vayichusimisham zmora the eshkol anavim echod. They didn't cut the branch with the cluster of grapes on it. They cut the branch and then they cut the cluster itself. That's how Rashi ends up saying it. But that leads to another question. What in the world do you need the word bishnayim for? Meaning, I understand that they're carrying it, and Vayisa'uhu is a plural word. They had more than one person carry a cluster of grapes. Well, each one of us could probably carry tens of clusters of grapes on our own. These grapes were so huge that it took many of them to do so. But you get that from Vayisa'uhu. The fact that that's in plural, you get that more than one person is carrying a cluster of grapes. What does the word Bishnayim mean, and how does that apply? So Rashi says in a Chiddush, 
Bishnayim is not referring to the amount of people carrying the grapes. It's referring to the poles necessary to hold the grapes. They carried it, referring to the people, Bishnayim, with two poles. A pole and a pole on top of one another, just like that. And through those poles, they were able to carry the cluster of grapes right in the middle. That's how Rashi understands it. The Chizkuni says a little bit differently. They made the, the branch into a pole, and then they put two poles underneath it to hold it in place, to be able to hold it where it's supposed to be. Now, it gets a little more complicated when you look at the other Rishonim. All of them are going based on Rashi. But they wonder, what exactly does Rashi mean? These poles, right? If you have two poles that are standing just like that, let's say you put the cluster grapes all on top of it just like that. How many people are holding those poles? Now, simply put, you'd have four people. One guy keeping one pole on his side, the other guy on the other side of the pole, and then the other two poles, you'd have one and one. So you'd have four people all together. But Rashi shockingly says that there weren't four people holding these poles. There were eight people holding onto these poles. Why? Each one of the poles, according to the Rishonas, how the Dasakin and the Chizkuni, the Balitosos, split off into two. So you had a pole like this, right, that went right over there. And then it went into two at the very end. On the other end as well, two little edges right there. A pole right down the middle again the same way. Two and two, which meant two people were holding each side of one of those poles. Two on this side, two over here, two over there, two over there, which meant it was a total of eight people carrying two poles which held one cluster of grapes. That seems overkill, doesn't it? Doesn't that seem complete overkill? Why in the world would you need that many people to carry one cluster of grapes? What in the world would that be needed for? But it seems that everybody got involved with that. Targum Yonasan is the only one that says different. Yonas and Benuziel says, and this is against the Gemara and Sota Daflamadalid, Targum Yonasan says that there were two people that carried the grapes, which makes a ton of sense to me. You have a pole and a pole parallel to each other, the grapes in between them, and each guy holds two of the poles on his two shoulders, right? That's the way Targum Yonasan says it. It's not like the Gemara, but that makes a lot of sense. And then one guy held a pomegranate, one guy held uh, a, a fig, and that's it. And those are all the people that you need over there. That's how Targum Yonason says it. The Abarbanel says that makes sense in Pshat, but it goes against the Gemara and Sota. We have a Gemara and Sota that says differently. It seems really strange that this happened as a Rebbe Yonason. Oh, Ibshit talks about this, that they wanted to make it in such a way that they wouldn't be chayiv in anything. But the Miyam says something that's really, really interesting here. Apparently, the way that I always learned it, I don't know, I, I would assume that everybody pretty much learned it the exact same way, is that the Miraglim took these fruits to go back and say that these fruits are horrible. Look at these people. We're never going to defeat them. They're such giants. What are we going to do? That's the way that I've always learned it, and that's that. And that's why Yoshua and Kalev didn't take anything. They didn't grab any fruits because they didn't want to be part of that lush and haro. That's how I've heard it. Everybody here, same thing, right? It's based on Rashi. It's the same basic idea. There's a Miyam Loez that brings down from a Medrash Rabbah and a Medrash Tanhuma that both say the exact opposite. Kalev saw the Miraglim didn't want to bring any fruits back. They were all saying, no, we're not bringing any back because they thought that would convince Bnei Yisrael to go to Eretz Yisrael. They didn't want to go to Eretz Yisrael. So they didn't want to bring anything back. They were too good. They wanted to stay in the Midbar itself. Kalev pulled out his sword, turned to the Miraglim, and said, or his bow and arrow, according to the Medrash Tanchuma, it was a bow and arrow, according to the Medrash Rabba, it was a sword. 
and he lifted up and he told them, either take the fruits or I'm going to kill you. And even though it was 10 to 1, because Yoshua was nowhere to be seen in this type of fight, Kalev apparently was so strong, they were so scared of him, that they all said, all right, we're carrying the cluster. And that's when they carried the cluster of grapes. That's how the Miyam says it, and that's that. What a strange thing. Unbelievably strange against everything that we had. But we'll try to come back to that. We'll see if anything goes with this. Now, the Shach also brings down this whole thing. He has a bunch of questions. He says, I don't understand. Why do we have to know that it was in a Nachal? Anybody know what a Nachal is? How to translate that? It's a weird word. It's not a Nahar, because that would be a river. It's not exactly a stream, which is kind of like a Yaor, Yud Alavav Resh. A Nachal is a Wadi, W A D E. What's a wadi? A wadi is an area that in the winter fills up with rainwater so quickly that it could start, it could be like a flash flood, and it's filled with water. But during the summer, when there's nothing else there, then it dries out completely, and it's nothing. It looks like a little valley. So it does have fertile ground because the water does rush through there, even though it does dry up in the times of the summer, right? You've probably seen a Nachal when you've done hiking in Eretz Yisrael. If you've gone hiking in Eretz Yisrael, you've been to an area that's probably called Nachal Sorik, Nachal something or other, whatever, that has this type of idea that where you have this. Says the Shach, number one, why does it matter that it was in a Nachal? That's number one. Number two, why did they bring a branch? What does the branch mean? What in the world was the point of the branch? I totally understand why you bring a cluster of grapes. You need a branch as well? What in the world is that? Number three, what is an eshkol if not an oven? What is a cluster if it doesn't have grapes? Why do you have to say eshkol anovim, the shach says? An eshkol is automatically anovim. That's what it means. So why would you say eshkol anovim? Says the shach those three questions. And he answers them by saying something really crazy. He says, anachal usually has the weakest grapes. Now, I don't know grapevines well, and I have no idea how this goes exactly. But says the shach, the best grapes grow where the sun shines down. And if it's in a nachal, in an area that's a wadi, that's surrounded by hills, you're not going to have a lot of sun, which means the grapes are not going to be large grapes. So a nachal are actually the weakest grapes. They chose the weakest grapes because they wanted to come back and say, look, these are not great grapes. These aren't the greatest things that we have. It happened to be they were huge. I guess they'd never seen grapes before. They didn't realize how big they were. I have absolutely no idea. But their idea was to bring them right over here. Now, also, a grapevine. We've all seen grapevines before, right? Grapes don't grow on branches. Grapes grow on vines. And we all know those vines are extremely weak. So weak, in fact, that if we want to keep grapes up, what do we do? We put up trestles. We put up little things to hold the grapevines in place so that they stay up. You can't just have a grapevine grow on the ground. It won't go anywhere. You need to have something like around something in order to go through. And this is what the the Meraglam saw. These grapes were so huge, even though they were in a nachal, and they went for the weakest fruits that they could possibly find. They were still so strong that the branch that they were on was literally like a trunk of a tree. They took it and they could turn it into a pole. Have you ever tried to make a pole out of grapevines? You ever tried to use it for firewood? You can't do anything with grapevines. They're nothing. And yet they were able to not only use the grapevines as a branch, they took a branch of a grapevine and used it to help carry the grapes back to to where they were in the midbore itself. That's how crazy this was. Not only that, when did they go? Do you remember when the Meraglam went? The time they went, you know when the people cried. 
because that time was <laughs> Tishabov. So everybody knows that they cried on Tishabov, so the end was Tishabov. When is, so that means they left, by the way, if they went for 40 days, on Chaf Tes Sivan, which is very, very close to now, by the way. Today is Chaf Dalit Sivan. Tonight is Chaf Hei Sivan. They would leave four nights from now, and they'd be going straight until Tishabov. Anybody been in Eretz Yisrael during the summer? Been in Eretz Yisrael? Yeah, how's that sun? How much rain did they get then? Grapes aren't growing like crazy in the summer. That's not the time when they grow. They're already grown. This is when they get weaker because they're sitting out in the sun all day and they're drying up and they're gone. So it's in the middle of the summer, in a valley, with a grapevine, and yet they were strong enough branches that they were able to hold the clusters. Says the Shach, that's how great this grapevine was and how great this cluster of grapes was, which is unbelievably crazy. Next thing. That's just about the grapevine. The Yelis HaShachar, this Reb Aaron Leib Steinman asked the question, it says, hold on a second. It says, which literally means they took from the pomegranates and from the figs, plural, right? From plural things, that's what they ended up taking. So Yelis HaShachar asks, wait a second. They only took one pomegranate and one fig. That's how Rashi puts it. Eight of them were carrying the grapevine. One carried a pomegranate. One carried a fig. But the Pusik makes it sound like they took many. In fact, Tana de Be'eliyahu, when going through this whole Indian the Maraglam, says there were five figs and five, five pomegranates. What happened to those others? Why did Rashi leave them out? And why would Rashi say it's only one when it's clear it's plural in the Pusik? And I recognize that it says from the pomegranates and from the figs. You could say maybe they only took one of them. But why write it in plural? Just say the Harimon, the Hata'ena. They would have said something like that, and that would be good enough. Why wouldn't it be that way? Aside from that, what's missing here? They took figs, pomegranates, and grapes. But they're missing uh, dates. dates. They're missing olives wheat. and wheat and barley. Why didn't they take any of those? I, mean, I, I Granted, fine, the grapevine took eight people. But they specifically chose figs and pomegranates and not Eretz, Zeis Shemen Udvash, right? It's known as the land of milk and honey, right? Chol of Udvash. Why wouldn't you take dates? So I guess the answer could be that they wanted to take the weakest of the fruits. But again, they're not doing a good job if you're taking weak fruits and you're taking these massive fruits right over here. Something seems weird. I'm sorry? Right, cholov would have been goat milk, right? Because that's what we call it over there. That's how the Gemara understands it. But nonetheless, even if you can't have the cholov itself, at least take the dvash. It's known, and they were told it's zavas cholov dvash. So you'd think the first thing they would take is dates. That's what I would think that they would be told to do. So the shach tries to answer one of these things. He says they did originally take five each. The plan was for five maraglim to take five figs and five maraglim to take five pomegranates. Kalev would take the cluster of grapes and Yoshua would take nothing because he was a bachar in yeshiva and he shouldn't be working. That's a funny little thing from the shach, but that's what he says. So he didn't have to take anything at all. But in the end, because they needed eight to take the grapes, they threw away the four other figs and four other pomegranates. Okay, so you had five and five. They threw away the other four, and that's why it says from the five pomegranates, from the figs, five figs, they took one and one. Fine, that works out well. But it still doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. What happened to the olives and what happened to the dates? Where'd they go? And why is that mentioned over here? So the Grizz answers for the wheat and the barley. He says, based on the Gemara in Yuma, there were merchants that were going around that were selling them wheat and barley all the time. And because of that, they, were, they didn't need to know what wheat and barley looked like. They knew what wheat and barley was like because those merchants were bringing them from Eretz Yisrael to them all the time. They were buying them. Yeah, Yaakov. Really commented that it's earlier that maybe it's because they don't know what grapes look like. Yeah. So if it's possible they didn't know what grapes look like, 
barley look like? Maybe the size difference between the wheat and the barley would be significant enough to... to See, I, don't, I, I was wondering about the size difference of wheat and barley. I'm not positive it's the seeds or the stalks. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, maybe the stalks were huge, but the seeds were still the same. Or if the seeds were huge, maybe they crushed them and turned them into flour and then sold the flour to Ben Yisrael. I thought of that when I was reading this Grizz, but I'm not positive. I, I have absolutely no idea. But it's a great call. I have absolutely no idea. The Grizz doesn't answer anything about the olives or the dates. Now, of course, it could be that none of them were growing in Nachal Eshkel. And because they wanted to go near the border to take it back, they didn't want to have to carry this throughout the land of Israel. It could be that they just didn't even think about the olives and the, the, the olives and the, the, what's it called, the dates at all. I'm not sure. I, I'm honestly not sure. But the Chassam Sofer does, the Oznayim Latorah actually says something as well. He says the more sun they get, it happens to be bigger, etc. You can check out the Oznayim Latorah yourself. The Chassam Sofer does seem to answer it all up. What did the mun taste like? And everybody knows, right? It tasted like anything you wanted it to, right? But there's two things that the mun is described as in the Torah. Kitzapichis bidvash, like a wafer in honey, right? In honey, and that's not bees' honey. That's date honey. That's what it was supposed to taste like. As well as, the wording is, l'shad hashemen, and like a taste of oil. It could be one of two different ways here. They already knew what oil, meaning olives, tasted like, and they already knew what date honey, meaning dates, tasted like, and therefore they didn't take it because that's what the mun had as its base flavor. But even more so, listen to Sam Silver. He says, when a Kaddish Baruch brings down Shep in the world and brings it somewhere else in order to make something more, you know, better for you, he has to take it, so to speak, from somewhere else. Our world is not a freebie. If something goes into something else and there's a tremendous taste here, something has to be taken away from somewhere else in order for it to go there. A Kaddish Baruch doesn't do miracles for no reason whatsoever. When the mun had the taste of honey and of oil, olive oil, when that taste was put into the mun, it took away the shefa from the dates and olives in Eretz Yisrael. And during the 40 years that Bnei Yisrael were in the Midbar, starting now, the olives and the dates in Eretz Yisrael didn't taste very good. They tasted like they were missing something, because they were. Their taste was thrown into the mun, and the mun was eaten by Klal Yisrael. So therefore, they felt like something was off, and it was off. That's why they didn't take it whatsoever. What's Can up, you elaborate on that concept? Like, was the world created with a, with a certain amount of energy, and then it's like a zero-sum It's game almost... The way, that, the way that I understand it, and I think the Chassam Sofer is saying over here, is that the world was created with physical attributes. Those physical attributes can be moved from one place to the other, but it's all that we have in this world. There's a limited amount. When a Kaddish Baruch wants, he brings extra Shefa in the form of Nisim, right, in which he can do like Kriyas Yamsuf, Yitzias Mitzrayim, etc. But that's not necessarily so by the Mun, which was a spiritual entity, which took from something physical in the world. I don't know. Yeah, I really don't know. But I've heard this before. This concept is not just from Ksam Sofer. Yeah, Mati. So two things. One, wouldn't that be all the more reason you should take the dates if you're trying to show look how bad Exactly. Are? That's my problem. I'm not sure because I keep like waxing at like going from one place to the other on this because I'm sitting there and I'm just like, I don't know. Are they trying to prove that they're worth nothing or not? I don't know. I don't know. Um, the other but yeah. thing is, um, didn't you say last week that the one had no base flavor and if you had no Kavana, it wouldn't taste like anything? With the Chafetz Chaim. The Chafetz Chaim said, right, if you didn't think about anything when you had the Mun, then it didn't taste like anything. But the Pasuk says, when that came about, I don't know, maybe everything they ate had a little bit of a more honeyful flavor, something like that. Maybe something like that applied to it, but I don't know. I don't have any idea. You know what's super interesting? There's a Rambam 
in Hilchus Brachos, Parachas Halacha Aleph. Here's what the Rambam says. Kol Peres Elin talks about the fruits of the tree, and listen to the order that he says. Now, again, he's not talking about wheat and barley because wheat and barley are not fruits, right? Even though they're mentioned in the seven fruits of Eretz Yisrael, they're not actually fruits. And he says, Okay, grapes, pomegranates, figs, olives, and dates. Now, that's weird because the order that we say, right, is we actually make a bracha on olives, and then dates, and then Eretz Kitos Ora Gefen Teino Rimon, right? Gefen Teino and Rimon. Grapes, then grapes, then pome- then figs, and then pomegranates. For uh, make which one is the Iker Bracha? When you make a Bracha, you're supposed to do the fruits in that order. The Rambam's order over here. What's, what's not Allah eight, you mean Allah eights, if anything. No, but like, okay, when you say Allah Mithya, right? It has uh, Allah eights. Allah eights. I'm saying, do you have the order in, the, in, the, in your venture? Well, that's Allah Mithya, Allah eights, or Allah Gefen. That has nothing to do with this. This is referring to when you have a bunch of things in front of you, which fruit do you have first? Which fruit do you have first? So there's an order in the Pusik. The order of the Pusik goes by the word Eretz is mentioned twice in the Pusik. So it's supposed to be olives, and then dates, and then grapes, and then figs, and then pomegranates. Do you see the order that he said over here? His order is grapes, pomegranates, figs, olives, dates, which is not our order because either the Te'enim and Rimonim are out of order or the Zesim and, the Shem, the Zesim and Tamar should be beforehand. Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky says, suggests that it's based on our Pasuk. Those are the fruits that they took out of Eretz Yisrael. They took grapes and a pomegranate and a fig, but they didn't take out the olives and the dates, and that's why it's relegated to the end of the Pasuk. What a weird thing. It's just a strange thing to notice that the Rambam says it, and he doesn't go into this whatsoever. Either way, Rav Menachem Zemba, if you've ever, never heard the name, Rav Menachem Zemba was a gadol who passed away in the Holocaust. Hashem Yenachim Domo. He quotes the Arizal that the mitzvah of Bikurim was a tikkun for what the Meraglam did. And that's why in Bikurim, Paragimel Mishnah Aleph, it says, Yoreid Adam Basilicity, you go down to your field, Baroah, Te'ena Shabikra, Eshkol Shabikir, Rimon Shabikir. So what would they do? Kashabigemi, they tied onto it and they say, Hariyolo Bikurim. It only mentions a fig, a grapevine, and a pomegranate. It doesn't mention olives, and it doesn't mention dates, because those two were never taken out by the Meraglam. So it's a tikkun for what they did then. That's why only those three fruits are mentioned over here. It's unbelievable because there's something there. The Arugas Bosom said, you know, had we not had this, had the Meraglam not happened, then the fruits in Eretz Yisrael would have turned us into Eshkolos. They took out an Eshkol of Anavim, a cluster of grapes that messed over all of mankind for the rest of their lives. Had that not happened, all of us would be Eshkolos. And Eshkol in the Torah is Merames to an Ish Shehakol bow. Men that have everything inside it. We would know everything. We would have everything. The fruits would have been there for us for us to be able to have. I tell this story over all the time. I spoke once for an organization and they gave me a, a present. They sent me a present of <laughs> pears. It was pears. It came in a big box. It came from South America. And I was like sitting there and I'm like, I looked at it and I was just like, oh my gosh, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. They probably got me like a human head or something like that, right? So I pulled it open, right? And there were six pears, six. They all had their own special little thing, like a pear here, a pear here, like each one. And I said, I'm like, that is the cheapest organization I have ever worked for in my life. I am never speaking for them ever again. 
So my, my wife said to me, like, she's like, so what are you going to do? So I'm like, I'm going to eat them and I'm going to enjoy them because if I'm going to get fruit for speaking for someone, you know, I'm going to go and enjoy it. I took the pear, right? I ate it. I did make all eats beforehand. It was the greatest pear I've ever had before in my life. And I have a problem now. I, I literally, I chewed it down like it was candy. Candy. I've never had anything like it. I can't eat pears anymore. I can't. Because I still remember what that tasted like. And I quickly had a second one and a third one and a fourth one. I ate those four pears probably in three minutes straight. Three minutes flat. I'm sorry. I, I, yeah, the problem is, is that I never wrote it down, right? Yeah, I found out. I found out. They were $28 each. These pears, to ship them in from where they were, $28 each. They claim the same with papayas. Like, uh, not papaya, well, uh, mangoes. I'm sorry, mangoes. Mangoes in America are garbage mangoes. The mangoes in India are apparently amazing. Now, I would never go to India because I don't want to, but supposedly. They have what? Thirty thousand, like our esrogan. I mean, we have that also. <laughs> they just don't. They don't shake it. But they have. They have. I don't get. But this, I finally understand, and I totally get it. When it comes to this, it's possible. The Arugas of Osim says that that could have been a tikkun. It would have been a tikkun had they used it properly, and unfortunately, it was never taken that way. It was put in the wrong direction. Okay. Now, you want to know how big these fruits were? You want to figure out how big these fruits were? It took eight people to carry a cluster of grapes with poles that were in between those clusters. Eight people to carry it all together. That should indicate that they were absolutely huge. Now listen to this for one second. When Bnei Yisrael crossed the Jordan River, right, this is in Yoshua and Perikdalet and Perikei, when they crossed the Jordan River, a representative of each one of the 12 tribes went and picked up a rock from underneath the Kohanim's feet. The Kohanim went into the water. The water immediately stood up. It's not like Kriya's Yamsev, it was on both sides. It just stood up in one way and kept flowing upward. The entire rest of the river just dried up. All the people crossed over. The Kohanim were right there. They were really floating in the air because they were carrying the Aron Kodesh. So 12 people came along and lifted up a clump, a huge, big rock from underneath their feet and brought it all the way to Gilgal. The Gemara says, now this is mentioned over there, the Gemara says in Sota, that each one was 40 sa'ah. 40 sa'ah. Now, here's the problem. A sa'ah is not a measurement of weight. It's a measurement of volume. Of volume. A sa'ah is six kav, and a kav is four lug, and a lug is six eggs. So it's 144 eggs. But again, it's volume. Volume, not weight. So what is it? So... I'm going to help over here. I'm going to try to figure it out. But to go on a little bit further, the Gemara says, and this is in Sota, that if you can carry 40 sa'as, right, then if you're with someone else, you're actually able to carry three times your weight. Now, that doesn't mean, right, it's much more than you think. It's not that I can carry 40 sa'as, he can carry 40 sa'as, so together we can carry 120 sa'as. Says the Gemara, no. If I can carry 40 sa's and he can carry 40 sa's, then together we can carry 240 sa's. 40 sa's times six, three times for each person, and that's going to be all together. If you have eight people carrying 120 sa's each, that means they were able to carry all together 960 sa's. 960 sa's. Now, how much is a sa's? A saw is 14.3 liters, according to the Chazanish. According to Rechaim Noah, it's 8.3. 8.3 liters. Again, not filled. It's, an, it's, it's a, a volume, not a weight, right? 14.3 is about 
about three and three quarters of a gallon, 3.78 gallons altogether. A gallon weighs, let's say, around eight pounds. You fill it up with water, it's eight pounds depending on the heat or the coolness of whatever it is. Obviously, the cooler it is, the lighter a gallon of water feels, right? I'm, I'm sorry, it's the opposite. Ice is heavier. It feels heavier the colder it is. The, but, but let's go with the regular. 3.78 gallons times eight pounds per gallon times 960 for each saw, 960 saws altogether. That means that the eight people were carrying 29,000 pounds, 29,030 pounds to be exact. 29,000 by eight people. That's unbelievable. Now, if you go with Rechaim Noah, maybe the Chazanish, you know, it's the Chazanish. Maybe they didn't hold the Chazanish here. Maybe they hold Rechaim Noah. Either way, it's 2.19 times 8 times 960, which is a manageable 8 tons, 16,819 pounds. That's how much the grape cluster weighed. According to this idea right over here, that yellow shocker said around eight tons, so it makes up over there. Now, why 960? Where did that number come from? Do you recognize that number from anywhere? Does anybody recognize that number, 960? It's a weird one. 960 is the number that's used for a mikvah. A mikvah has 960 log in it. It's 40 suz, right? 40 suz, right? It's supposed to be 960 log altogether. So it's funny. If you take two queens of evil, the queens of evil are Lily, Lamed Yud, Lamed Yud Suf, and Machalas. Lily stands for when people are sad and it gets you to sin. Machalas is when people are super happy and gets you to sin. People are too happy and they go a little too crazy. People are too sad and they just give in to whatever it is. Lily and Machalas together are the gematria of 960. It is off by two. You count the two words, Machalas and Lily, and that's what you're supposed to do in this case. Says the Chidah, that's the reason why it's 960, and that's where it comes from. The Yetzirah was with them the entire time. For that reason, we learn Mishnayis. The word Masnisen, of course, is the gematria of 960. We dip ourselves in a mikvah. 960 log altogether. That number is there to be able to understand that we're supposed to do something. You should know, by the way, we know that a berria is never bottle. That's why we can't eat raspberries anymore, because there's a tiny little bugs in raspberries. You can't get rid of them whatsoever. You have to freeze them in order for their eyes to pop out, and then they're not a berria anymore. They're not like full creatures, whatever it is. A berria is not bottle. If you have a full creature, it's not bottle. Says the Chuvas Arashpa, a berria is bottle if there's 960 times its size in the whatever food that you have over there. 960 times its size. They say it comes from this as well, that the 960 comes from this idea to when we mavatul something, you can be mavatul at 960. Normally we have 60, right? Or even 100 by truma, etc. Maybe 200 by something. But this is 960 times and everyone goes through. I guess that shows how much HaKadosh Baruch Hu loved the people. What? You think you can matter a shirt? You can matter a shirt. You can matter a shirt if it's not a barrier. If it's not a whole creature, you can matter it with a hundred, uh, sixty times. I'm sorry, sixty times is good enough. If it's a barrier, then you can't be. Yeah, that, but that's a barrier. That could be even a bug, and that's the reason why raspberries. You need nine hundred and sixty times the actual item itself. 960 times, which, by the way, depending on the size of the bug, you could very easily have in a chulant, right? There shouldn't be that big of a problem, right? You should be able to figure that out. Raspberries, probably, too. Yeah, uh, raspberries, not that big. 960 times? I mean, that's not that much. It's a little bug. Yeah, raspberries are not, no. There's a lot of bugs also in raspberries. It's really impossible. But don't worry, just freeze them. Their eyes pop out, right? Then it's much better. Have you ever seen it? 
No. Now, I'm not a bug guy, right? I just talked to Ravi Langer here. He's the bug guy here in Chicago. So, you know, you can deal with him. That, that's what it goes through. Okay, and that's that. There is more. The Mi'amloes and the Rabbeinu Bakaya say, say that, remember that whole thing about Kalev trying to force them to take the grapevines or whatever it is because they didn't want to take it in the first place? According to the Mi'amloes and the Rabbeinu Bakaya, they tried picking up the grapes and the grapes wouldn't go. The grape just, the grapevine wouldn't go up. Remember, it was super heavy. To carry that amount of weight, I guess they needed a lot of back and whatever it is, and they couldn't get themselves into it. They couldn't lift it up. Yoshua and Kalev went over and were able to lift it with the little fingers. They just lifted it up and they were able to take it with them. When they saw that the Maraglim were getting super upset, they realized that they were going to be against them when they came back. Kalev, this is how the Medrash puts it, the Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar says it, Kalev whispered to the cluster that it should allow itself to go with the Maraglim because otherwise we're going to be killed. So the cluster allowed itself to be carried by the Maraglim, and that's who brought it outside. What an unbelievable metric. I have something to say about this, but I'm not going to go into it right now. The Paneach Raza does say that Yoshua and Kalev were supposed to take fruits back themselves. Moshe Rabbeinu told them to do so. He's chazaktem, or lakaktem priyaretz. But they didn't want to do it when they saw what the Maraglim were doing. So they said, we're out. We're not going to do it whatsoever. Revolson says, but how can you go against the word of Hashem? Moshe Rabbeinu told them to take fruits. You're not going to take fruits because you don't want to? Because you think the Maraglim are going to... Just do what Hashem told you to do. They said, says Revolson, you're totally misunderstanding the Pasuk. And this is a total mind-bender when you think about this. They were never told to take fruits out of the land. It says, Be strong, and take from the fruit of the land. Sounds like you're supposed to take it out, right? You know what it really meant? If you're feeling weak and you want to become stronger, take from the fruit of the land and eat it, and you'll automatically become stronger. Eating from the fruit of Eretz Yisrael will make you feel more spiritually inclined. So he's telling the Maraglam, I know you guys are going to have problems. I gave an extra Yud to Yoshua. I made Kalev go daven by the Kivrei Avos, said Moshe Rabbeinu. If you guys feel weak and you don't know what to do, I don't want you to bring back fruits. I want you to be stronger by eating the fruits of the land. And when you eat it, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. You ever hear something like that before? I've never heard that before. But Wolfson said that's the idea of what they, are, what they were supposed to do, and unfortunately they never did anything before that. Okay. Was the name of the place Nachaleshko or not? Did they have that name beforehand, or was Nachaleshko the brand new name that was given for it? What happened with Nachaleshko? The Ibn Ezra says, no, 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 no. There was no name for the place beforehand. Moshe Rabbeinu wrote this, because he wrote the entire Torah. When he wrote the Torah, it was already called Nachaleshko, so he wrote, they came to Nachaleshko. It's the same thing. By Avram Avinu, it says, by Yirdof Ad Dun. He chased them up until the land of Dun. Dun didn't exist yet. Dun wasn't there until Yaakov had the shape, and they didn't live in that area yet. It was called Dun based on what was going to be in the future. That's how the Ibn Ezra puts it, and that makes a lot of sense. The name wasn't Nachalashko. It was only called Nachalashko, so what happened right there? The Orachayim HaKadosh. He says that Hashem called it Nachalashko based on what was going to be in the future. The person who named it had no idea why he named it. He named it Nachalashko, and Hashem did it because he wanted them to know what was going to be in the future there, and that's that. The Swarna said the Kananim called it by that name. They couldn't understand why Ben Yisrael plucked a grapevine out of the tree and they started carrying it out of the land. They couldn't understand it. They were so weirded out by it, they started calling it Nachaleshkel. Oh, wow, it must be that the grapevines are really awesome here because the Jews are taking it out of the land. That's what happened over here, and that's why it was called Nachaleshkel. Then the Miamalois brings another Medrash. Talmai, who was one of the giants, one of the three giants that was there, saw them doing this and yelled at them so loudly they fell to their faces to the ground and they lost their breath. 
The giant picked each one of them up and blew into their faces, basically did CPR, brought them all back to life, and then told them not to worry. The land belongs to Hashem, said Talmai. He will give it to whoever he wants, and then he sent them away in peace. That's what Talmai did. According to this medrash, that's why they lived up until the destruction of Bias Shani. We have no idea who these people are. In Yoshua, it seems very clear that the giants were killed in Hebron by Kalev later on. But according to this measure, they lived up until the end of Bayis Shani. Bayis Shani. We're talking over 1,200 years later. That's a Pella. Yeah. What's up, Yaakov? No, not Ptolemy. Although, obviously, the word is related, right? But Talmai was supposed to be the name of this guy. If they're related in some way, I don't know. That, that I don't know. But no, it's not referring to an Egyptian. It, these three were the sons of the Anak, who's also known as uh, Arba. His name was Arba. He was a giant. Who's also, his name was, does anybody remember? Do you remember? Ezra, from back in the day? Tzvi, do you remember? Oh, man. That's Navishir. That's Navishir. It could be Ephron. Ephron is the name of the Anak and the, the, what's it called, and the Arba. He was the guy. Ephron's sons were Sheshai, Chiman, and Talmai. He was giants. Nobody realized that Kiryat Arba. It was Kiryat Arba because Ephron lived there. He's the one who sold Maras and Machpelah. He's the one that ended up doing it. Okay, the Kliyakar says originally it was called Eshkol, right? But they called it Nachal. They added on the word Nachal as a praise to Eretzol that even the Nachal grew these unbelievable grapes. Targumino says, says it was called Nachal, which is Wadi, as we said, because the juice flowed out of the grapes to form a river of wine. Is that unbelievable? A river of wine that came from there, and that's why it was called Nachal Eshkol. The Panam Yafo says, they took from the valley because those fields were Hefker. All the other fields were owned by people they didn't want to steal, so they took that stuff itself. That's what they say over there. But then there's an obvious one. You know, there is an Eshkol. Do you guys remember the guy by the name of Eshkol? Who is Eshkol? Come on, you remember him. Think all the way back. Like all the way back. No, 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 no. That's Ashkelon. That is different. He was one of the Pelishti cities. Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre were the friends of Avram Avinu. We already know that Mamre had, an, had a city named after him, right? We have, because that's where Elone Mamre. That's where the appearance of a Baruch Hu came when Avram Avinu was in the tent. It makes sense that Eshkol would have also had a city named after him. Nachal Eshkol. This is the area of Eshkol, the friend of Avraminu. Now, if you look back in the puzzle, if you look back on, on, on the first page, Vayavohu Ad Nachal Eshkol. Do you notice something about the word Eshkol? When you see that word, Vayavohu Ad Nachal Eshkol, there's no Vav. Right afterward, Vayavohu Kara Nachal Eshkol, they added a Vav. Meaning, originally it was named for Eshkol, the friend of Avram Avinu. When they took the cluster of grapes, they double-named it. They named it Nachal Eshkol, not just for Eshkol, the guy, but also for Eshkol, the grapevine. And that's what they ended up calling it over here, and that's the idea behind it. The Grud, the Vilna Gon says this, Rechaim Knievsky says it. They both say the same basic board. I don't know why they... I, I'm sure Rechaim Knievsky knew the Grud. They say it a little bit differently, but that's that. The Raza and the Mayor makes sure, that's on the Paneach Raza. He mentions as well, Haksava Kabbalah says, Nachal is not Wadi, like we've been saying up until now. Nachal means Nachalas. What's a Nachala? What is a Nachala? An inheritance of Eshkol. That's what Nachal Eshkol means, and that's what it refers to over here. We're going to end with this idea. Rav Schwab quotes his Rebbe Rebroyer that the name of Nachal Eshkol was given based on Avram's friend, but he lost that schus 
Because he's the one that told Avraminu not to get the bris milah. Mamre told him to get the bris milah. But Eshkol told him not to because he might hurt himself and then the people will kill him. They said, don't do it. Because he didn't have pure emunah in HaKadosh Baruch Hu and bitachon in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Eshkol lost the ability. So when they brought back the name, it was renamed not for what Eshkol was, but for the new grapevine that they took from that area. Amazingly, in Parshas Vayera, Rav Wolfson says that Eshkol was misgalgal into Kalev to be able to help, help him make the right decision. Eshkol didn't want to lose that bitachon that he lost in the beginning, so he was able to do that in such a way. Alena Lishabach, Rabbi Yitzhak says, our book is not a geography book. It's not a history book. There's a true lesson to be learned here. Everything we do has an effect on the future, whether good or bad. You make a good decision, and the land could be named after you. You make a bad decision, and the land will have that impression forever. That's the idea behind it. It could be Nachal Eshkol, but Eshkol lost that ability, and instead it's named after something else entirely. We lose, so to speak, the name of what we have over here. We're going to stop with that, guys. Have a great 